All right. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So today we're going to be talking about uh, leading at-risk employees and a course that was developed uh, uh, by me back when I was teaching at the FBI Academy. And I, as many of you know, I retired uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, Heidi Marshall, who is our guest today, took over the class and has restructured it and, and I'm sure improved the class from when I was there. And we're going to get to know Heidi today. And how I know Heidi was she was actually in the class, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Heidi, in the my last class that I taught at the FBI Academy. And, and it was just a really fortuitous and kind of a series of events and coincidences that she actually was retired from her agency, which we'll talk about herself, and then was hired as an instructor at the academy and then taught that that class after I left. So it's a big honor, big um uh, we're very grateful that Heidi has taken the time to come in and, and talk to us today. And so with that I just want to introduce you to Heidi Marshall. Heidi, uh, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, thank you for allowing me to come in, and thank you for the introduction. And I don't know how much I've improved the class, but <laughs> we've actually, at least we do have it going in the right direction. So, uh, like you said, uh, I attended the FBI National Academy back in October of 2016 as a member of Class 266. Uh, graduated in December, and that was, in fact, the last session uh, that you were uh, an instructor for. So I uh, was lucky to have that opportunity. Uh, when I went to the academy, uh, I was a staff lieutenant with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Uh, working, I've worked various assignments while I was with the patrol. Uh, at the time, I was getting ready to take over our wellness program, basically creating our wellness program, uh, Ohio Assist, which is basically a post-critical incident seminar mm -hmm. uh, for first responders uh, having difficulty uh, with dealing with trauma, depression, suicide, uh, PTSD, uh, addiction issues, uh, and you know everything that is taught in the class. So uh, I took the at-risk employees class for a reason. It was mostly to be able to take information back to help my organization. Uh, but then a strange thing happened during the class, and I actually helped myself a lot more <laughs> than it ended up helping the organization. So uh, for that, I am eternally grateful, uh, and it kind of gets me to where I am now. Yeah. Well, so when you say that the course helped you more than it helped the agency, um, what do you mean by that? So, you know, just to give a, I don't know, Cliff Notes version of my story, uh, you know, 23 years uh, with the Highway Patrol, uh, various positions, uh, I swore that I was not going to become a trooper uh, because my dad was a trooper. In fact, my dad... Uh, at the time that I went into the academy, was a lieutenant colonel uh, with the Highway Patrol. 
but I decided towards the end of graduating from college that I was going to join the patrol. Uh, three years into my career, my dad got promoted to colonel, so he was actually the boss of the organization. So as you can imagine, the colonel's daughter jokes got old pretty quickly, but uh, regardless, when I came on, you know, I already had my undergraduate degree. About two years in, I went back to school, got my master's degree, mm-hmm. swore that I wasn't going to go back to school, but then within a year, uh, took the LSAT and then was in law school. Uh, went through law school, graduated, took and passed the bar exam in 2005. So from 95 to 2005, I was just working and going to school. I, everything that I was doing for my whole career, basically, was what could I do to get promoted within the organization? How could I get ahead? to the detriment of everything else. So uh, I lived alone, didn't have a boyfriend, you know, never got married, no kids. Uh, shoot, I, d- I didn't even have a cat for, you know, so, you know, no pets. Everything I was doing was either work uh, or school and got promoted relatively quickly up through the ranks. And then 2008 happened. And in 2008, Uh, I was accused of having an affair with my senior officer and had sent emails that were inappropriate. I acknowledge that. And while there wasn't an affair, the the course of the investigation, uh, I was basically put in our headquarters, uh, was taken out of my command at the post, and then August 8th of 2008, I was called into the office and I was read a statement of charges saying that I was going to be terminated. And as you can imagine, it was a Friday afternoon and uh, I had another uh, officer who took me home uh, and I was alone, right? I mean, I didn't even have a cat. So I'm at home by myself. Uh, my dad, my mom and dad, by this point had retired and had moved to Arizona. Uh, my sister lived about 20 minutes away from me, but she had three young kids with a fourth one on the way. Mm. Not too terribly close. Another good friend of mine uh, was, oh, he was on vacation, lived relatively close, but wasn't around during this time. My dad's trying to call me. A good friend of mine's trying to call. I'm not answering the phone. My dad, you know, to get to be the colonel of an organization, you, you're you pretty smart. He's a pretty smart guy. And uh, he called my sister because I wasn't answering the phone and said, I don't know what's going on, but you might want to go over uh, to Heidi's house. So he didn't, he didn't know. He didn't know. Okay. No, he didn't know. I mean, he knew what, he knew the investigation was going on, but he didn't know that I was right. basically terminated. So uh, my sister uh, comes over with her three little kids and her <laughs> one on the way. She was about three weeks away from giving birth to my third niece. And she comes walking up the driveway. And it's a good thing she did, or it's a good thing he made that call, because another 30 minutes and I wouldn't be here right now. Uh, because I was sitting in my garage with a bottle of wine and a bottle of sleeping pills, uh, and I was going to kill myself. Because I could not see, you know, basically my identity had been stripped from me. 
yeah. right? You know, what we talk about in wellness classes, you know, to have that balance. I had nothing. I had none of that. So, for And that's pretty common in this profession, isn't e- it? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, she came up, obviously, I didn't do that. Um, and three days later, uh, I ended up being reinstated to the patrol. They brought me back. Uh, but I got demoted from lieutenant to trooper. So now I was on a pretty fast trajectory, you know, fast track, kind of moving up. So that was a pretty, you know, huge blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, but instead of focusing on me, as you would, you would think that that would happen, mm-hmm. um, I now became more focused on getting re-promoted, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to move my way back up through the oh, ranks. Oh, yeah. that's understandable. Yeah, yeah, so everything now that I was doing was to get re-promoted. So, and, and ultimately did until uh, I got promoted to staff lieutenant and then got the opportunity to come to the National Academy. So I, I don't tell that story to, you know, oh, woe is me. I mean, I made a mistake. I was wrong. I mm-hmm. took my punishment. But the problem with the whole thing was it took me eight and a half years before I even told anyone that I was sitting in my garage with the bottle of wine and the bottle of sleeping pills and that that's how low I had gotten. So you never told anybody that Nobody. you knew? I mean, other, well, uh, family? Did family know? Nope. No family. Family even, didn't Even know. your sister that came Sister up? didn't know. No, my sister oh. didn't know anything because I saw that she was coming and, you know, I put the stuff away i hid it in the garage until they left okay um and in fact when i moved here to virginia two years a little over two years ago the bottle of sleeping pills was still in my cabinet with the wrapper taken off of it so nobody knew what was in the bottle except for me right um so yeah it took eight and Mm -hmm. a half years and and where i actually told the story was sitting in your class and you probably remember you know, going in and my being so wrapped around the axle about things that were happening at work, uh, supervisors who were giving me a hard time or, you know, how I felt they were giving me a hard time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was convinced that I was sent to the, sent to 11 weeks at the academy just to get away, you know, to them to just get rid of me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually kind of funny because <laughs> the National Academy is an honor to go to. So I, right. your punishment was... Yeah, my punishment worked out well. Of, I don't think they realized where, the, where they were sending you. Right. My punishment worked out well. But, you know, the first day in class and, you know, our assignment is to, or we know our assignments, and one of them is to well, write a eight to ten page paper on an at-risk employee or an at-risk behavior. And I thought, well, what better... To person to write about than myself so I uh, sat down within the first couple weeks of the class and wrote about 12 pages and just blo- you know basically 12 pages of telling the story that I just told you so yeah. um, and then even during that time you know even after you had read the paper um, I was still you know you're supposed to disconnect when you're at the N.A. I wasn't disconnecting. I was still getting emails from work. And, you know, one particular email, you know, got me triggered, you know, hijacked to the point where I was just overly emotional, crying, you know, typing, 
a well-worded response with numerous curse words in the in the email and crying and my sweet mate came over and she looks she goes well, you know what is going on what is wrong and she looks at the email she says no you can't send that delete 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 which we which I did and ended up you know replying maybe the next day in a much more professional manner but you know a couple of days later I'm sitting in class and the class is over you've wrapped up the class Mm -hmm. a couple people were standing around talking i'm putting my books together and in your creepy manner you came and sat in my creepy manner (laughs) (laughs) three week mr creepy dude (laughs) sitting in front of me you know just kind of with your arms crossed and looking at me and you know and everybody else kind of saw you sitting there too so being the good friends they are they all left (laughs) maybe they should have stayed exactly um, but you know, you, you asked a, you asked a pretty easy question, you know? Yeah. So Heidi, how you doing? And we've asked that to people a million times. And usually the answer is always, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And that's exactly the answer I gave you. And, but I didn't expect the response and the response was, okay, well that's bullshit. So how about you tell me what's really going on? It's like, what? For those of you that aren't in law enforcement, we tend to be fairly direct. (laughs) Yeah. So, but he was absolutely right. So, and I think after about a two and a half hour conversation, you know, later, uh, the, you're probably one of the things that stuck with me most of all was you know, when you were surprised that I hadn't shared, you know, my, the story that I wrote in my paper with anybody, uh, but you almost challenged me, you know, why haven't you shared it with anybody? You know, you don't have, you don't know how many people you could help by sharing that story, but we don't want to look weak. We don't want to appear as if we can't solve our own problems. You know, we're type A, we, in law enforcement, we handle everybody's problems. We fix it for everybody not the other way around. Uh, but, you know, through that class and then standing up and telling the story to the class uh, was probably the most emotional I've gotten in a long time. But going through that 11-week experience, you know, and being able to focus on me and realizing that I was letting other things outside of my control control me control my emotions uh, as opposed to controlling myself and not worrying about what any but what anything else that was going to happen or what anybody else was going to do I couldn't do it mm-hmm. uh, so when I went back to you know after we graduation from the National Academy went back and you know some of those same people were trying to get under my skin because they knew they'd done it so many times before and I basically said you know what it's you're dealing with a different person from who left here three months ago. Uh, started focusing more on me, focusing more on just, you know, controlling what I could control, not worrying about everybody else around me, not worrying about whether or not I was going to get that next promotion, uh, and just, you know, trying to uh, do things you know, to help myself as opposed to help the organization like I had done for so many years. So that's the long version of how that class helped me. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily enough, um, also tell, telling that story, there were 
couple other instructors at the academy who wanted me to come back and tell that same story to their classes. And so, you know, it's, it's one thing to be able to attend the National Academy. That's a, you know, like you said, that's a great honor. Um, everybody, you know, hopes to be able to do that in their career. Um, but to be able to come back as a guest instructor is even, you know, is even mm-hmm. better, right? So I got the opportunity to come back for four, four additional sessions. Uh, and the last one that uh, I was there was, I think it was 272, May of 2018. Uh, it just so happened that when I was there, there was a contractor who had just been brought on full time with the Bureau. So there was a contractor position open. One of the instructors said something to me, asked if I'd be interested. I gave him my resume and within two weeks I had an offer and they wanted me to start with the next session, which was July. So I retired from the patrol with 23 years on, uh, on June 25th of 2018 and started with the Bureau, uh, as, or as a contractor for the, for national, the Bureau, yeah. for the Bureau, uh, the following week. So I took a whole week off and then started, uh, started back to work. So luckily enough, uh, they had me sit in uh, as, you know, in shadow, the person who was teaching uh, the at-risk employees class uh, at the time, uh, and then gave me the opportunity to teach it then two sessions later. So, you know, it's kind of... Pretty kinda, quick transition. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> came, full, came full circle. Uh, but before that, uh, in 2017, so just right after... Uh, my graduation from the NA, our in-service for 2017 became more about the the mental health issues, mental health issues uh, for law enforcement, trying to, you know, talk about more of those mental health issues, break down that stigma. Uh, so all of our sworn officers, all of our dispatchers, all of our civilian employees, got the same message so it was the mental health side but also uh, we gave them the addiction awareness piece uh, PTSD depression suicide and I had no intention of telling that story or the snippet of that story uh, but I did and you know you, you throw it out there and you don't know how people will react yeah uh, but I was amazed at how many people had been in that same mindset or had been in that same place and couldn't believe that I had been there because I was really good at putting on that brave face and saying I'm fine, even though I wasn't fine. So that kind of gives you a history of me. Uh, and now I have the opportunity, you know, not only to uh, impact individuals around the country, but around the world who come in uh, and have. I, th- I think made a, a great impact and influence on wellness programs around the world. So, yeah, and there's probably no, uh, you take the events of, you know, we are now in September of 2020, and we all know what's going on in the world and the attacks on law enforcement. And so, th- this is when, when I met you, that was 2016, mm-hmm. four, you know, mm-hmm. four years ago. Wow, I can't believe it's been four years. But the world, the country certainly has changed now. And 
you're more of the in the mix than I am right now when it when it comes to law enforcement. But even from my perspective, I I just see the mental health crisis in law enforcement because of how officers are being treated now has just exponentially increased. Are, are you are you seeing that as well? Oh, absolutely. And now it's coming from different directions. You know, it used to be you could predict where the crisis and the trauma we always was had come the from. enemy. We, we, right. Yeah, it's, but it's we, had, the people that should be supporting us. You had suspects. Yeah. You had the potential to get into a confrontation with people you contacted with on the street. But now, uh, you they're getting it from all directions. So they're getting it from the politicians. They're getting it from you know the public, the public, mm-hmm. you know, the media. You know, seemingly twenty four seven constant barrage and everything is negative. Uh, and, you know, district attorneys who are filing charges for officers who are doing their jobs. And within right? policy. Within and po- the law. Yeah. yeah, within policy, within the law uh, and everything. So, you know, it's just it, it, even more so now than even it was last year. Uh, you just have so much more. You just don't know. And, you know, the a group that, you know, they think that they're immune it's commanders, you know, mm-hmm. as individuals move up through the chain of command, they think that they're not susceptible to post-traumatic stress or whatever because, well, they're high up in the chain, you know, they're higher up in the chain of command. They don't have to deal with the incidents out on the street, but they're dealing with a unique type of stress. They're dealing with those bureaucrats and, you know, the the politics and the politicians and the media. You, you know, it's interesting, Heidi, that you say that because in the the recovery world that I'm in, the business that I'm in, um, it's funny that you're saying that because I I am having a segment of the law enforcement profession contact me asking for help that I never had before. My sort of employee assistance work up until this year has been exclusively the people out on the streets or whether it was in the F- the FBI we're talking street agents or support employees and in the police departments it was usually sergeant or below very rarely a lieutenant it had has happened but very rarely okay well, for example you were um, a mm-hmm. staff lieutenant but that that's the outlier or was the outlier i am having more command staff officers reach out to me because they are under such stress from the public and from their uh, um, city councils, mayors, whatever the structure of their 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 city or state environment where they're from, mm-hmm. they're getting pressure from there to indict and to punish officers. And the stress that they're facing is that they know that that that's inherently wrong, or they 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 at least need to have fairness. You know, let let me finish my investigation. Of this incident before we take action and many of them are under a lot of pressure to take action before any investigation has been done because of the public mm-hmm. and so they're facing scrutiny from the press they're facing scrutiny from their city or state wherever they're from or at the federal level too and then and then of course but they have to answer to the troops that are that are within the organization and that's not um you know it's not a fun place to be in, is it? That's a very, very tough and lonely place to be. And these people are not exempt from suicidal ideations, from substance abuse, from um, uh, you know the, the, all, all the mental stress that goes through with this. And it's 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 sad to me that this is happening to law enforcement, but it is very, very real. And that's why I think that your message, particularly at the rank 
that you were at is is a very very important message for people to have because we do i think that's one of the stigmas of of addiction and mental health is that it only happens to people that are weak that only happens to people that maybe don't have their act together and that's not true it happens to everybody it happens to everybody and so if you're listening to this message today, I hope that you will reach out and you, and I hope that you will get help because I, like you, Heidi, when, when I first told my story, in, and, and I, when I say in public, I mean in non-recovery groups, mm-hmm. I really went out on a ledge, that mm-hmm. just like you did. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had the same sort of emotional reaction that you did because I was there when you told your story for the first time. I didn't realize at the time that it was literally the first time that you mm-hmm. told it. Mm-hmm. But I think you had sort of the, the same psychological and physiological reaction that I did. And I, too, like you, was shocked at how many people came up to me. Uh, just so the listeners know, there's about, on average, 40, between 30 and 40 students in each class. And we're typically teaching two of those those classes at one time. And all of them, all of them came up to me and said either they lived with somebody, knew somebody, or in some cases, they suffered from the same thing that I had. I frankly did not expect that kind of reaction. I I didn't. This is a pandemic issue, if I can use that term, um, in society, but specifically in law enforcement. And we are going to need to do more and more to help our officers as as we go along now you mentioned that you had shifted the focus of and that's why i mean improved the course because when i taught it it was pretty focused on the addiction part but that's just because of my i mean when when you're teaching you do bring your you to the class and so it reflected me and now the course reflects you and it really is nice to see that the work you're you're doing is having an impact on the people that are out there. And the people that are listening, I think, you know, listening to Heidi's story, and, and if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you, you've heard a bunch of my takeaways. But for you, what would you say the biggest lesson learned is? And what do you do differently today? Because I'll I tell you, sitting across from me right now, because we are here together, you are a wildly different person than when I met you four years ago. You've done a tremendous amount of work on yourself and soul searching and changing a lot. And, and I know that you know that as well. But tell our listeners, what have you done? What's changed? Well, when, well, I think it's, you know, putting, putting more of the focus on, okay, as opposed to what can I do to make everyone else happy? Uh, what do I need to do for me? What do I need to do for my own mental health? Because, you know, I mean, I'll I'll say this during class, and I know you've said this before. I mean, we give, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day to an agency, regardless of what your agency is or where it is, federal, state, local, it doesn't matter. Uh, and when you're gone, the agency moves on, you know. It's like Heidi who, Mike who, oh yeah, they were here for a long time, but we're all expendable, right? There's nobody calling me from the FBI asking me how I'm doing, I can tell you that. That's exactly right. I mean, you could probably count on one hand, you know, your close friends who you maintain contact with, but, you know, at the end of the day, if if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know, they'll mourn me for a few days, but it's upward mobility for somebody, you know? I mean, I submitted my retirement paperwork and I watched them pick my replacement. I mean, they were practically moving boxes into my office before I was even gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, you know, at after that career is over, 
if that's your whole identity, which, you know, we have a, a suicide problem amongst retirees. We do. You know, if, um, if that's your whole, their whole identity, then retirement is pretty darn stressful because they're outside of that realm. They're outside of that, you know, they don't have that camaraderie. Uh, for me, you know, I think everybody thought that, you know, I was a good soldier. I, you know, fought my way through being fired and demoted, worked my way back up, did everything they asked me to do, did everything they told me to do. Uh, I was able to get into kind of that wellness realm where I could help other people uh, and doing, you know, creating the post-critical incident seminar for Ohio and getting that program up and running, uh, which, you know, we were able to bring you uh, for the Ohio Assist program. Uh, And then, you know, going back to the academy. Uh, But then when the opportunity presented itself to do something different, realizing that, you know, that's, I think that's what I needed to do to, to grow personally uh, and professionally. So, I mean, I needed to probably, I probably wasn't going to be able to do anything uh, within the highway patrol without kind of being in the shadow of my father, right? I wasn't going to, nothing that I was going to do was probably going to be my own, probably, right? I'm mm-hmm. guessing. Uh, so I think it caught a lot of people by surprise when I told them I was leaving after 23 years. I mean, I got a lot of people saying that I've, you know, you're making a huge mistake. You need to stay until you get 25 years. You need to get your full pension and on and on and on. And basically, I was ready. I was ready to go when I graduated from the National Academy because I realized how much that was, you know, that whole environment was just wearing on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things uh, also that was another requirement of your class even though I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not an addict. Uh, when we went to an AA meeting, yeah, you know, one of your assignments, and actually when other people go to the AA meetings, realizing that you know even those twelve steps work for everything. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it's not just alcohol. I mean, they have em- emotional issue. You know, twelve step groups it's just if you follow the 12 steps it's just a good way to live your life it's actually a good guide for Mm -hmm. your life yeah uh and then actually you know now you know switching over to al-anon meetings because you know realizing that there were influences in my life that you know where individuals were uh not necessarily alcoholic but you know used alcohol to a more harmful level or you know kind of the heavy drinking Mm -hmm. and and how they reacted affected me, you know, even growing yeah. up. So, you know, focusing on those things, uh, but then also, you know, realizing there is life after whatever job you have, you know, when you retire, there's life after. And uh, even, you know, the, the one thing that is also helpful is at the beginning of every class that I teach, so every session, uh, I, I'm up front and I tell my story. I mean, I tell that story. So it creates a safe space for everybody in the class. Yeah. And, you know, and and you get a, you find out that everybody else is going through a lot of stuff too. Uh, so, you know, so focusing more on that. 
Uh, and then shoot, I, I, I actually got engaged. I actually don't have to worry yeah. about a cat anymore. <laughs> I actually, I actually found a man who's put up with me for <laughs> last does he year. Have cats, and a he does not have cats. Mm. Um, you know, so focusing on that, you know, on the, the personal relationship and, you know, being really vulnerable and sharing your life with somebody else is, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, you know, a whole different topic altogether, but you know, just kind of focusing more on me and realizing that, yeah, you know, I had to get out of that situation before I was really able to thrive and grow. Yeah, that's a really good point. And by the way, congratulations on on your engagement, and that that's fantastic. And and I, I tell you, talk about the changes in you uh, over the last four years. That was something that was inconceivable mm-hmm. um, oh, in my, my my viewpoint of of you mm-hmm. it, at that time was. That that wasn't going going to happen, mm-hmm. and I think that you you really do have that power a powerful story because that's really what it comes down to, and I think that that was that was true in my case, and I think you know in uh, a lot of people that work because you mentioned how people come to the National Academy and you tell your story and then they are able to share, and, and I'll tell you over the years I've heard. Uh, many people say, you know, I told this story, whatever their story is, I, I've told this story in this class, and I've never told anyone else before. And they've been holding on to things for, for years. And if, of course, that was Bill Wilson's great discovery. And that was that it, when we're talking alcohol, one alcoholic sharing with another alcoholic what their experience was, experience, strength, and hope, because only an alcoholic can relate to another alcoholic in that way. It's that deep personal connection, and you build that trust. And you know, you may have had other people in your life that have been around you for years, but there was just, even though you love them dearly, you know, you love your family, you love your friends, you love all these people, but there's just that 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 connection that there's something that somebody that, that has experienced what you're going through can listen in a way that no one else can, no matter how close they are. And I'm talking spouses, husbands, wives, significant others, partners, whatever whatever your situation is, they can't relate in a way that somebody else that's gone through that experience has gone through. And that's the opening. But I love the other point that you made too, and that is that at the end of the day, you, I think you have to break down life into its, its basics. And, and you faced a very similar sort of um, epiphany in your life that I did. And at the end of my drinking, it was this. Um, I had to really, I remember laying there and looking up and picturing myself when, what is it going to be like when I die? What are people, and this is a kind of a good way to kind of assess your life and your prior reason life, is when you die, and we all will, we all will at some point, what are people going to say about you? The people that are closest to you, what are they going to say about you? Actually, you can start with the question, will there be anybody there that shows up to say anything about you? Just start with that. I think I was kind of at that point mm-hmm. in my end, and that is kind of look up and picture people speaking about you and picturing in your mind what what do they what are they what do you want them to say about you or what is it that you want them to remember and and if it is wow what a shame what potential Heidi had or Mike had or whoever you are uh, had and they didn't realize it then it's a shame because uh, he or she was so capable and and had so many uh, talents that they could have used that never happened because this particular issue, whether it's drugs or alcohol or any other sort of addiction, and by the way, relationships can be addictions too, um, 
or lack of relationships or obsessions with jobs. All the, There's a whole litany of things that you can go through that can be just as devastating, maybe even more so than drugs and alcohol, to be honest with you. Um, um, it, it's a shame that their direction and their potential was thwarted because of, of that. And rarely is your success going to be because you were very successful at your job. I know your family won't feel that way. My family wouldn't have felt that way. Because my, my wife used to tell me all the time, I didn't come into the world as an FBI agent, and I'm not leaving the world as an FBI agent. But at the end of the day, I'm still her husband, or I'm the father to my kids. And it seems to me like that was a profound moment for you when you, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but you went back to Ohio and it, after being at the FBI Academy, it was never the same after that. At least the way that you looked at your job was never the same. Is that true? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. It was... You know, I mean, I realized that I had put everything that I had and I mean, it nearly cost me my life for, you know, God's sakes. I mean, you know, to be in that position and then, you know, I mean, that's the position. But when you don't think that anything is going to get any better, right? If mm -hmm. if I would you know rewind 12 years and, you know, to when I'm sitting there, you know, I don't see the stuff that's happened 12 years later or 10 years later that has been, you know, all the good, right, that has happened over the last few years or the last several years since that point. Mm -hmm. um, but I lost my, I was going to go somewhere. But it's just, you know, realizing that, yeah, you're right. I mean, the biggest thing for me was, you know, I felt like I had let so many people down. Uh, and then especially, especially my family, you know, my parents, I mean, my dad spent 31 years with that organization, right? So I felt like I let him down, like I, he would never forgive me for, you know, screwing up. I couldn't even, I couldn't forgive myself for screwing up. It's always, you know, kind of, well, what if, what if, what if, um, but then come to find out that he wanted me to leave. He wanted me to quit. <laughs> All he cared about was that I was happy. He didn't care about what I was happy doing, uh, when people now, you know, when he sees people uh, who might either be retired or still with uh, the organization and they ask him how I'm doing, which invariably they all do, uh, he says, you know what, I haven't been able to wipe the smile off her face for the last two years. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's true because, yeah. you know, things have gotten exponentially better. Um, but it, I th I th when we talk about and everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, so as crappy as that situation was, and I wouldn't recommend anyone go through anything like that, I think it almost had to happen to, one, it maybe humble me a little bit, you know, I mean, because I was moving up pretty quick. Uh, but it also put me in a position where I could see how we were treating our people, right? How within the organization, within the yeah. organization, uh, and how, you know, the, the people on the road, you know, the boots on the ground, the one doing the job each and every day, putting their lives on the line each and every day, uh, are the ones we need to take care of and how we weren't doing that, uh, as people and as an organization. So, you know, that gave me perspective in, you know, especially when I was able to move back up through the ranks uh, and, you know, put leadership courses together, put training together, put together the, 
you know, the post-critical incident seminars uh, and things like that and just really make that wellness piece more of a focus than mm-hmm. it had been before. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I uh, really like how you're pointing out that you are in a place now that in 2008 you could never have imagined. Never. And looking out to the future, there's no way you, like if, if I just said to you, you know, came to you in a dream and said, you know, you know, in 2020, you're going to be an instructor at the FBI Academy and you're going to be engaged to be married and you're going to be doing all these things that you're doing, these things that, that make you happy. You, you would have said, you know, you should really, you should really stop smoking crack for breakfast because it's bad for you. That's what you would say, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, but it's true. That is what happened. And I think what's important for anybody that's listening to this program right now is maybe you're in that place right now and maybe you're in that dark moment. And I had that dark moment myself. But that you you don't know what the future holds. Whatever's caused you to be where you are right now, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. It may not seem like it today, and it may be dark for a little while, but the sun actually does come up. You know, when we have these clouds, when we have, you ever been in an airplane when you, you travel somewhere and, and it's a dark, rainy, kind of stormy day, and then you take off and you fly and you get above a certain altitude and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, it's bright sunlight, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes, but we can't see the sunlight because those clouds are there. But it's there. Well, and a but lot it's of, there. Yeah, but a lot of it's timing, too, because, I mean, I'll still have moments, even now, oh, sure. when I'll think, you know, what if, especially, you know, when classmates of mine are getting promoted or, you know, their majors or moving up through the ranks or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I can do the whole woulda, coulda, shoulda thing, right? If I, if I were still there, I could be this. Or if that hadn't happened, then I could have gotten promoted faster. But... I also then realized, well, had that not happened when it did, you know, maybe I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to go to the National Academy. Or maybe I would have gotten the opportunity, but I wouldn't have gotten to go when I did. Right? I wouldn't have True. gotten to go, you know, uh, wouldn't have it's been able point. To, to meet the people that I did meet and kind of get onto that path uh, to where all these things started happening, right? Now, we can't, I, I wouldn't have been able to predict that. I would have known that 12 years ago. Uh, but looking back on it, had that not happened, I, w- I wouldn't be in the position that I am today. I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing today. You wouldn't be sitting right here right now I doing not, this. I would not. Yeah. I would not. So uh, that's <laughs> that's kind of you know my, my biggest takeaway as far as, you know what, everything happens for a reason. We might not know the reason. We might not like what's happening. But there's a plan behind it, and just got to let it play out. Mm-hmm. So. That's that's a really good point, and and it is amazing how many things happen in our lives that are so painful at the time, so painful. But then you look back and you go, but as you just mentioned, if that had not happened at that exact moment, and it didn't happen the way that it did, then these other events, which were really, really good events in my life, whether it was for me personally or whether it was to benefit somebody else, would not have happened. Because you're absolutely right. You would have, um, had you gone to the academy, you would have gone to a different session, Mm -hmm. which would have meant that you would have met a whole host of different people we would not have met. Mm -hmm. And um, I think sort of the trajectory of coming into my class, which meant that I went to Ohio and met contacts mm-hmm. and then you came back to Virginia and made contacts. And it was those contacts mm-hmm. that eventually led to you being where you are now that none of that would have happened. Right. 
And it is, I, I, so I think for our listeners is if you're on that edge and you're just wondering, you know, where, where my, my life is over, I, I think some of the key takeaways for this is one, know that it, it, trust that there is a plan. And I'm not trying to get religious on people. I'm not pushing a religion. I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. I'm, what I am saying is that you have to understand that there is a purpose. First of all, you have to ask yourself, is there a purpose to my life? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. Okay. And if there is no reason for you to to be here, what I would challenge you to do is to find a reason because we are all here for a reason. And uh, you're in, in the process of getting well is to figure out what that reason is and then get on that journey. But you have to understand that there is a reason and then find that purpose to go forward and move forward. And the second point is you cannot live for other people. You mm-hmm. cannot. Mm-hmm. One thing we we know particularly here being in the Washington, D.C. area, if there's any place in the world, I won't even say the United States, if there's anywhere in the world, um, if there's a place that's cutthroat, backstabbing, in a difficult um, dog-eat-dog world, it is Washington, D.C., where we live, okay? Now, if you're listening to us, you you have your own fights, you have your own politics, you have your own areas that, that you're dealing with, and it's nasty. Life is a nasty, hard business. And it just is. And part of life is that fight. But you can't lose your identity. I know I did. I know I completely lost my identity in what I was doing. I was so disillusioned with what I believed my life had become. It wasn't it wasn't what I thought it was supposed to be. And then I went down, you know, my, my road with alcohol and you went down on your road. But it wasn't until I stopped caring what other people thought of me and started to live for me and for those that were important to me. Now, I'm going to caveat that for a minute because my wife and my family are important. Your family is important. You know, and I'm not saying that they're, they're not supposed to be important. They are. But part of that is that you have your relationship with your family, but you're still yourself. But you can't live to please your family, right? Because I went mm-hmm. through that as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it, until you start to start living life, f- being true to you and who you are, whoever you are, whatever your desires are, and pursuing that and finding that inner joy and inner happiness that comes from only your motivation, will you begin to get better? And then along with that is to help other people. Because I think the, the lasting joy in life is when we help other people get well. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a joy in that. And then... Um, ironically, that helps you stay well at the same time. Is is that what you have found? Step twelve, right? Oh well, step twelve Good. is carrying yeah. the message. Carrying yeah, the, carrying the message. You know, mm-hmm. Carrying the message, whatever that message happens mm-hmm. to be. Uh, but you know, I talk about a, one of the most positive coping mechanisms mm-hmm. is helping other people who have been through similar situations. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've got my story, and, and I'll tell my story, but I guarantee that. There are, you know, everybody out, like, your story is a heck of a lot worse than mine. Mm-hmm. And I hear your story, it's like, oh, crap, you can keep your story. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty messed up. I'll keep, I'll keep my story. Now, you are you talking about person. me or are you talking oh, about I'm, in general? Oh, no, I'm talking about you. You personally. <laughs> no, everybody has their story. But yeah. everybody does. Yeah. I mean, everybody has their story. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that nobody's story is better or worse just than different. anybody yeah. else. It's just different. Yeah. And we could have gone through the same thing and had it affect us even differently. 
That, that's so, true. That is true. So we don't. Is, we do not yeah. all respond that's because right. we're people, right? You could. Yeah. You could and face we, the. I could have gone through what you went through, and mm-hmm. oh, whatever. And we don't recover the same uh, way. Yeah. We don't respond the same way. You know, it takes time. So, you know, it's frustrating because everybody wants kind of that silver bullet cure all, and. At the end of the day, the bottom line is, is that we got to want to get well. We got to want to get better. We got to want to get help. And we can't force anybody to get there, right? So it took me eight and a half years before I talked about it. Yeah, I should have talked about it a lot sooner than that. Uh, even though I was seeing a, a therapist, I, yeah, I just didn't go down that road. I talked about other things, right? Because that's... That's yeah. how we, you know, how we protect ourselves or seeming seem to protect ourselves. Uh, but being able to, you know, open up and, and be vulnerable and, you know, share that and, and help other people get through that. It takes our minds off of the crap that Us. we might be yeah. going through. Right. Yeah. It, it's funny because as long as you're helping someone else, you're not up in your own head. Right. Uh, saying that. And I, I like how you mentioned with the therapist, you were you were telling other stories because I in the counseling world that I work in, that's. I see that all the time. Look, mm-hmm. I did it too, mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm not condemning people. But it's funny how we we go. You know, why do you go to a therapist? Because you want to get help. But then you go to the therapist, and you don't even give them a chance because you're never honest with the person that you're paying mm-hmm. to help you get honest. Right, yeah. And it's it's always funny. So that that is really what it comes down to is you have to make a decision. Do you want to get well? Do you mm-hmm. do you even want to get well? Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't. Right. I mean, if some people it seems like kind of like being in their misery, mm-hmm. but most most people don't, and it's a matter of uh, wanting to get help and then understanding that there are people that that are there to help you and and you know I've talked about this before the problem in our profession in particular but it's not unique to our profession but it's very prevalent and that is that we uh, and you started out by saying this we we are not real good at reaching out for others because we are conditioned to believe that we are invincible and that y- you need help and you come to me I don't go to you mm-hmm. you come to me Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a death nail. That's a death sentence for people in our profession. And but there's other professions: lawyers, doctors, CEOs for companies. You know, very power, politicians. You know, there's a lot here in the, in this city, and people experience that. And that making yourself vulnerable is very. It does not come easy. It does not come easy at all. But once you do, once you open that door, it just makes the rest easier. And then that's the beginning. The beginning is willingness. Willingness to get well, and then being able to accept help from others to to get there, because we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. No, none of us knows everything. That's why we do this as a fellowship, as a group, so we can learn from from one another. And you, you mentioned stories. You can you can look at other people's stories and see, even though it's a different different people, maybe different organization they work for, different families, but you can see. You're like, oh, I can relate to that because I've experienced that. You know, you can see yourself in other other stories. So when you tell your story at the National Academy, there are people watching you and they hear their own story in your story and they see you get better. And that's the experience, strength and hope that they can get better. Yeah. And now even, you know, obviously we haven't been at work since March. Yeah. So we had a session graduate March 13th, I think. And then right after that, we've been quarantined right we've been working from home so it makes it even more difficult to reach out yeah to you know people to, to see how they're doing and i mean and genuinely see how they're doing and ask you know find out how they're doing uh, and talk to them but you know so even though 
you know, we should have three more sessions going on right now. I mean, we haven't been. Uh, luckily, I've kind of, I've been able to take the class and break it down into four separate one-hour webinar blocks uh, and at least do it virtually. Mm-hmm. So doing that, you know, just a one-hour quick hit uh, and doing a, a suicide awareness class and I'll give the snippet of my story just kind of mm-hmm. like I did at the beginning at the beginning here and after that you know the emails that come in and you know how many people related to it and you know even inter hey we need more we need to talk more about this within within the bureau within our agency within law enforcement uh, because you know now more than ever with the threats that are going on around yeah. us and the stress that's going on it's just you know, we're, we're getting hit from all directions. So, you know, helping each other and doing what we can to just kind of continue getting that message out, even in these less than perfect times uh, is more important now than ever. It is. And uh, yeah, it it is difficult and and it's a very powerful message that you're putting out. And Heidi, I really appreciate you um, sharing your story with us today. Sure. So thank you so much. And anything, we'll do that. anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to say to the listeners that Heidi, you know, how, how does this work? I invite Heidi onto this program for, uh, to to share her story, but then told her that she had to bring me lunch. And you know what? <laughs> and and I she did. did. She did. did bring lunch. So that's so nice. That's exactly right. So as always, I'd like to say I don't represent any group. I don't represent anyone other than myself. And my only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've done because it's, it's helped me and maybe it'll help you too. And the, the same applies with Heidi, that uh, she just shares her story to help you. So if I or Heidi have said something that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But try to take any information that you can use for yourself and uh, try to use that to help others as well because that's the important thing. That's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Um, Give us a follow. Give us a like. Give us some comments. And let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing, because I'd love to hear from you. And Heidi would love to hear from you. So take care, and we will see you guys next time.